Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Kings, chapter number 6. The Lord God of Elijah. We have been, we have been thinking about that now for, wow, so many months. And that's good. As we think about the troubled world that we live in, we need to keep our focus on the greatness of God, not the severity of the problems that we face. 2 Kings chapter 6, I want to speak to you tonight about a project with problems. A project with problems. And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us uh, make us a dwelling, a, a place there, where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. And so he went with them, and when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place. And he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Therefore said he, Take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. You might remember we've already talked about the fact that in Bethel and Jericho and Gilgal there were schools for the training of the young prophets. And Elisha was a frequent speaker there at these schools. And at times the students would follow him, learning about the ministry firsthand. And might I add, there is no substitute for that. There's only so much you can learn in a book... Uh, type study or sitting in the classroom. It just takes getting out there and doing the work, being involved in it. And so they would follow him. Well, on this occasion, Elisha was dwelling with them, and suddenly someone pointed out the fact that the place where they dwelled was too straight or too narrow, too, too small, just simply not enough room. And so they entered into a building program. Now, I'll guarantee you that every pastor who's ever been through a building program, there's a part of him that never wants to go through another one. Because believe me, I mean, if anything can go wrong, it will go wrong when you're in a building program. You might think you've gotten through it down to the very end, and then all of a sudden there will be a clash of ideas about what color the walls ought to be. And you mark it down, there have been more church splits over difference of opinion in regards to little petty things than there have ever been over major doctrinal issues. So when you have a project, you're going to have a problem, and that's what happened here. Now, I want you to think about the project here, and first of all, what this project indicated. What it indicated. And the most obvious is that it indicated discontent. Now, normally, when we use the word discontent, we always think about it in a bad way, right? 
You know, they ought not to be discontented. And that's true in a sense. But it's also true that we can use the word discontent in a good way. You remember when the church at Corinth, when they were bickering about the various spiritual gifts, and, you know, here's one had the gift of tongues and someone else had the gift of healing, and so here they are debating amongst themselves about who had the most important gift. And, of course, the Apostle Paul was writing to clarify that issue. Now, here's the important part about this. Paul said in another place, he said, earnestly covet the best gifts. Now, you know, don't be bickering about these petty issues. And he identifies the best gifts, right? Faith, hope, and and charity. He says those are the three that are going to abide. Earnestly covet those best gifts. Now, in order to covet something, you've got to be discontent with something else, right? In other words, you've got to have more than what you've got. Right? That's what's going on here. You know, they could have said, well, now, look, I know it's a little crowded, but that's all right. We, you know, we'll just, we'll just stay here and we'll be content. If we don't have any room for any future students, that's okay. We'll just be content. There's us four and no more and we'll get along uh, just fine. And that's the mentality that, that some churches seem to have. That let's just be content, you know, and uh, let's don't stretch out. Let's don't try to grow. Let's don't try to expand things or whatever. And so this one guy makes the suggestion that we need a bigger place. And you'll notice that he's not rebuked for it. So since there is no rebuke, it's obviously that it it was an obvious need. And they adopted the plan, said, let's go, we're ready. We, we have a genuine need for a larger dwelling place, and so let's do it. And uh, I don't read of any objections, but if it had been a Baptist church, somebody would have objected. Somebody would have said, well, you know, I just don't know if this is the right time to do it or not. Maybe we ought to wait another 10 or 15 or 20 years before we entertain that idea. And maybe we ought to just table that motion and really think about it. But we don't read any of that negative stuff, and there's no no hint of complacency on that part. You know, complacency is a terrible scourge upon the Lord's church. Being complacent, you know, just sitting back and just, well, everything is just fine the way that it is. If we're going to make any progress, there has to be a spirit of dissatisfaction with things as they are when they're not what they ought to be. A spirit of dissatisfaction with things as they are when they're not what they ought to be, you see. They needed a bigger place, and they set out to do it. So there was this discontent. Now, if we're just always totally 100% content with everything just like it is, mark it down, we're going to, listen, we're not, we're not going to just stay like we are. We're going to regress. We're going backwards, in other words. If things are ever going to get better, if they're going to improve, we've got to have that spirit of discontent that says, I want everything that God has for me. But not only was there discontent, notice that there was decision. 
decision. And that's what it's got to come to. You can just sit around being discontent and say, well, you know, I really wish that things were different. And just, I mean, you can murmur and complain. You can talk about it till the sun goes down, but it doesn't do any good until you make that decision that we're going to do something about it. And they made a decision. This man is not just dreaming about the project. He made a decision. Let's do it. And we we need to make decisions sometimes instead of just keep talking about it and talking about it. One of the one of the aggravating things about church work is how long it takes to get anything done. And you know, that's why I hate committees. I'll tell you I hate committees because committees just go on and on and on. They drag things out forever and forever. I determined here a while back that I was going to have a, a series of messages about uh, about just Keeping everything simple. And years ago, I met a fellow by the name of Charles Tremendous Jones. He was a motivational speaker. And, I, and I'll tell you, he was, he was a type AAA personality. This guy was wound up like an eight-day clock. And it's the first time that I ever heard the KISS principle, keep it simple, stupid. And uh, that, that's been a lot of years ago, and a lot of people have borrowed from it. But he's the guy that started that. And you know, there's a lot of truth to that. Sometimes we can get things so complex, we can get so many things going on that we become sort of like Congress. The time you get through all of the red tape, you know, uh, everything's ruined. And, and we, we need the attitude that when something needs to be done, let's just do it. Let's, do, let's quit sitting around talking about it. Let's just start doing it, you see. And so we need to make a decision. And they made a decision. That's what he says here. He pointed out what the problem was. He said, I'm not satisfied with this, and so let's do it. But then there's a third thing about this, and that's the matter of determination. And it takes determination to do anything. I don't care what you set out to do. If you don't do it with a spirit of determination, Satan is going to discourage you and it won't be long before the work comes to a standstill. Every project is going to have problems. And if you're going to finish the job, then we must be determined. But not only do I want you to notice here what the project indicated, notice what, it's, what is involved in the project. First of all, there's expansion. Expansion, more, larger, bigger. And when I read that, several names come to mind. I think about Caleb, don't you? Remember, Caleb said, I want that mountain. Now, Caleb's an old man now. And you would think that at this stage of his life, Caleb would just be, you know, He'd be retired. He'd just be, you know, just letting the younger generation do it. But even as an old man, Caleb said, I want that mountain. You see, there was still a spirit of discontent. There was still more to be claimed, more that could be done. And so he said, I want that mountain. And that's the attitude that we ought to have. I want that mountain. Not only do I think of Caleb, I think of Jabez. You remember in the prayer of Jabez? And the prayer of Jabez was, Lord, enlarge my coast. And it's somewhat the same kind of prayer that Caleb had, you know. I want that mountain. But Jabez says, enlarge my coast. Now, the coast, of course, had been inhabited by their enemies. And what he's praying for is that God would give him larger territory, that God would give him victory over the enemies. Now, that might sound well and good, but you've got to understand when you have more, then you've got more to take care of. And, 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 and to get more, it means there's going to be a battle. 
Because the Canaanites and the Amorites and all the rest of them, they're not just going to throw up their hands and give up. I mean, it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a fight. You've got to be willing to go out and fight. You've got to be willing to go in and possess the land. You've got to be willing to work the land, defend the land, do whatever needs to be done. So when he says, Lord, increase my coast, he's saying in essence, Lord, give me a whole bunch more responsibility. That's all right with me. Lord, give me a lot more work to do. Wouldn't it be great if we all had that attitude? Lord, I need more to do. Just pour it on. And then, of course, I think about Paul. Over in the book of 2 Corinthians, there's a wonderful verse here in chapter 10, 2 Corinthians 10. I want you to notice what he says in verse number 16 because it really expresses the heart of the Apostle Paul. He says here concerning his ministry to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. Now, what in the world is he talking about? He's talking about expanding the ministry. He's talking about getting the gospel out beyond. And remember the song, The Regions Beyond? Well, that's what it's all about, The Regions Beyond. He says, I want a ministry that reaches out beyond all of those of you that have already heard and embraced the gospel. I want to take the gospel message to a people that have never heard it before. That, that ought to be the attitude of every child of God. Missions is the heartbeat of the church, folks. Listen, I mean, if we're not missionary-minded, we're going to die. It's just that plain and simple. And while missions begin at home right here on our doorstep where we're at, it does not stop there because we have been given a worldwide commission. And Paul said, I want to go to the regions beyond. He could have said, look, you know, let's just stay right here where we are. And we'll build some big, fancy, nice buildings, and we'll put on a big shindig, you know, have a big show. We'll have some Christian entertainer come in and tell jokes and get Mark Lowry or someone, and they can come in and entertain the crowd, and it won't be long before we'll have people from all over the world coming down here to watch our show. You see, that's the way that the average church is thinking today. And the Bible never commanded the lost to come to church. Never, never. It commanded the church to go out to the lost. And Paul says, I want to go to the regions beyond. And then I think about William Carey, who is called the father of modern missions. If you've never read the biography of William Carey, you need to do so. William Carey was determined to take the gospel message to those that had never heard. The text upon which he based his entire ministry is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 54 and verse 2. And here's what it says. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine uh, thine habitation. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. Now think about that. It's a picture of a tent. And he's praying that it'll be enlarged. And he says to enlarge it, you've got to, you've got to not only add to the material, but he said you've got to lengthen the cords. It's going to be bigger, going to take more, in, in other words. So you've got to lengthen the cords and you've got to strengthen the stakes. In other words, drive the tent pegs deep down in the ground because the structure's going to be bigger and it's going to have to be well anchored or it's not going to stand. 
But the whole idea here was, is let's not be satisfied where we are just doing what we can in this area. Let's reach out. When he stood before a group of preachers and presented that idea, one of the old preachers there stood up and told him to basically, and this is a paraphrase, he said, young man, sit down and shut up. He said, if God wants to convert the heathen, he'll do it without you. Quite encouraging, huh? A young preacher, full of fire, wanting to go out and do something, and some older preacher says, don't worry about it, just sit down and shut up and God will take care of it. Well, God's already taken care of it, folks. God has given us the commission to go to the regions beyond. And so as we read this, we need to think about us And we need to think about the matter of expansion. But not only is there expansion, there must be effort because things don't happen. For every effect, there is a cause. If we're going to be successful, we have to apply ourselves to the task. In other words, we have to put our hands to the plow if we're going to plow the field. We've got to be willing to exert ourselves. And it ought to be a united effort. Look in verse number 2. It says, let us go. That's a united effort. In other words, that is teamwork. In other words, somebody didn't say, well, you feel that way. Why don't you just go ahead and do it? Just do it, you know. And I've heard people say, you know what, I just don't have a burden for that particular ministry. Well, listen, maybe, maybe you don't have a, a, the ability to work in a particular ministry. God made us all different. We're not all equally suited to the same ministry, folks. Uh, some of us are not suited to the music ministry. and You know, that's fine. But I ought to be supportive of the music ministry. I ought to do what I can, whether it's a music ministry or Sunday school or a one or whatever it is. I ought to do everything that I can to support those ministries, you see. And so there ought to be some effort. There ought to be teamwork. Let us go. And if you're a part of a church that has a ministry, such as Awana, for example, and you think, well, I'm not involved in that, so I don't care anything about it, well, shame on you. This is a church ministry. We're all involved in it. And then notice there was an individual effort. Again, verse number 2, notice every man. No exemption. Nobody gets a pass. Everybody is expected to contribute in some way. Now, certainly they didn't all do exactly the same thing, but everybody was expected to be involved. Every man. You know that's the way it ought to be in a church. Every church member ought to be involved. If somebody's, and, and I hope you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. If somebody says, well, you know, I just feel, I'm just, I think I'm going to join the church here. I, I really like this church. I love the singing or I love my Sunday school teacher. I think I'm going to join the church. But, but don't ever, ever ask me to do anything because I don't want to do anything. I'm just kind of here to watch. Well, why in the world would you join the church if you don't want to contribute in some way? Amen. And we can all contribute. We can't all sing in the choir. We can't all work in the sound room. But we can all contribute in some way. And all of us need to realize that we have a responsibility. So there's expansion. And the expansion takes effort. But there's something else. There's equipment. Expansion, effort, and equipment. Now, in this case, it was an axe. Now, we don't think much about that today, do we? I mean, after all, we don't even hardly use axes today. 
I can remember many years ago where I cut wood with a with a double-bitted axe all day long, cut a, cut a path from Springfield, Missouri, all the way down to Branson, Missouri, doing survey work. Well, listen, we didn't have we didn't have any chainsaws. Bubba's got all kinds of chainsaws. He's got little ones and big ones, and he's got we got a, a one chainsaw it's on a long pole where you can reach way up in the tree and cut it down. They didn't have any of that stuff back then. And listen, iron was rare back then. It, it, you, if you owned an axe, I mean, you had a valuable piece of equipment. But if you're going to chop down trees, you need an axe. You need something that will get the job done. You need the right equipment. Have you ever thought about the equipment that is needed in the Lord's work? It takes equipment, Right? Now, there's some things we can do without any equipment, naturally. But there's some things we can do a whole lot better with equipment. And there's some things we could never do if we didn't have equipment. I, I, I don't know how many morning manas I send out. I, I, I've lost track, and I'm really not trying to, trying to build a large mailing list. That's not, not, my, not, not my purpose in it. But wouldn't it be something if I tried to hand deliver all of those every day? Can you imagine? And so I sit there and I write out a little article called Morning Manna. And uh, then I get up and I go over here to Abgar and d- deliver Brother Ron's. And then, uh, and then I go out to, let's say, Glenn's and Bubba's way out there in the country and go over to Brother Jerry's way over the other side of the lake somewhere over there. And Well, I, can't, I couldn't possibly do that. But boy, with the equipment that we have nowadays, I can sit right there in the office at my house with my house shoes on, an old tattered shirt, and my Levi's, and I can sit right there, haven't even combed my hair, haven't shaved yet or anything else, and a cup of coffee in my in my hand, hopefully not in my briefcase like the other day, but uh, I can sit right there and just punch those buttons and boom, boom, boom. I mean, boy, there they go. Wow. Equipment. It's so important to understand that if we're going to do what God wants us to do, it sometimes takes equipment. We talked this morning about the copy machine. Oh boy, it got it got dark and ugly after that. But a copy machine. But have you ever thought about the value of a copy machine? Boy, some of us can remember those old mimograph machines. Oh wow, did I ever hate those things? An old mimograph machine. And I don't care how well you did, it never was really going to look good. But boy, with the modern day computer and the printer that we've got, I mean, you can make things look professional nowadays. And it's important that we understand the importance of those things. And so there is equipment involved. And a part of getting the job done is having the right equipment. And that's why whenever it comes to the Lord's work, the Lord's ministry, we ought to get the equipment that we need to get the job done. Now, notice the, the predicament. Now, if you're from Missouri, you might say the predicament, but uh, it's not. Notice the predicament. All of a sudden, right in the middle of the project, he's cutting wood and the chips are flying and all of a sudden, splash, and there's a 
There's a big splash out there in the river, and the axe head is gone. He's standing there with the handle in his hand. Now think about the laborer here. Now think about this. As the problem develops, here is a man that's working. He's not watching. He's not just sitting back observing others. He's not shirking his duty like a lot of people. Here's a man involved in the project. Here is somebody that we would say is faithful. I don't know how much wood he had already cut or anything like that. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I know that he's faithful. Let me tell you, being faithful is not going to exempt you from problems. It might be the very cause of some of the problems that you encounter. So there is the labor and there is the loss then. And if I could just describe it in a nutshell, when the working end of an axe is gone, the power is gone. And there's no need in pretending that all is well because you just can't chop wood with an axe handle. It just doesn't work, folks. You can go out there and beat that tree all day long with an axe handle, but you're not going to cut it down. And so the working end of the axe, the power, is now gone, and after the loss comes the lamentation. I mean, this guy is really moved, and I mean moved emotionally. I mean, he is pouring out his heart. He does not accept the problem here with unconcern. He's deeply troubled, and he's grieved for two reasons. Number one, the work is stopped. Everything comes to a standstill. That ought to trouble anybody that's involved in the work when it comes to a standstill. I'm afraid a lot of times what we do is just go on pretending, well, it's going to be all right. I mean, we can go weeks, we can go months, and go on and on and on with no souls being saved. Everything is at a standstill. And just go on pretending like, well, you know, that's just the way it is. And and we just become content with our failure. So the work stopped. Secondly, it was borrowed. This axe does not belong to him. He borrowed it from someone else. And he wasn't like a lot of neighbors today. You know, they borrow something and you never see it again. This guy was really concerned about it. The axe belongs to somebody else and it's lost. What what am I going to do? I mean, not only is it going to hinder the work, but what's that fellow going to do for, for an axe? You know, we need to remember that, that our power to do the work of God is borrowed. That is, it's not ours. Amen. If we depend upon what man can do, we get what man can do, and it's not very much. But if we depend on what God can do, that's something altogether different. And remember Acts 1.8, he said, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And so the, the, the force that we need for the ministry that we've been given comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that as believers that we do not lose the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. He seals us, and He resides within us for the rest of our life. You never lose the Holy Spirit. Never. But, We can lose the power, the operative power of the Holy Spirit in our life. We can do that. And it ought to trouble us deeply. 
Because just like the fellow out there beating against the tree with the axe handle that can't get anything done, that's exactly what's going on in our life. We're trying and we're trying. In fact, we're working harder than we've ever worked. I mean, there is sweat on our brow. We're putting everything into it. But just something is missing. Something is missing. We've got to understand that the only way that we can have an effective ministry, I don't care if, it is, if it's a choir. Let me just stick this in. I sure don't agree with Jim Simbula and the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir on everything. We, we are miles apart doctrinally in a lot of things. But I do believe with all of my heart that they are a Christian bunch of people. I don't have any doubt about that whatsoever. And I do believe that they've tapped into something we need to rediscover today. If you've never read anything about how their choir operates and why, it'd just be refreshing to do you good. I mean, boy, when they their choir, their choir practice is not like an ordinary choir practice. It is a service within itself. I mean, something that uh, that that well, you just don't see much of today. What am I saying? I'm simply saying that whether it is the music ministry, whether it is Awana, whether it's teaching Sunday school, I don't care what it is, if it does not have the anointing of the Spirit of God upon it, it is not going to accomplish what God wants to do. It's not, folks. I don't care how smart you are. It doesn't make any difference how gifted you are. You can't do it. I cannot do it. I can lock myself in a room and study 40 hours for each message. And I can gather together all of the very best illustrations. I can do everything in my own human power that is possible, but I'm going to fail before I begin if the Holy Spirit doesn't take that message and bless it and use it, you see. If He doesn't empower me, then there's no way in the world I could ever accomplish God's will in my life. And so we can't get the job done on our own. And the sooner we realize that, the better off we are. Can you imagine how exhausting it would be to be out there beating against the side of a tree with an axe handle? Getting nothing done. You talk about discouraging there's no chips flying, no trees falling. You just work, work, work. Nothing getting done. And the reason that a lot of folks get weary in well-doing, they get exhausted in Christian service, is because they're struggling to do it themselves instead of depending on what God can do. Now, We've looked at the problem that existed, but I want you to notice the, the procedure that's involved. And before we do, think about the different options. Think about what this fellow could have said. You know, he could have attempted to recover it by himself. I don't know how deep the water was there, but he could have just said, look, I'm going to take care of this and just jumped in and started swimming out through there and diving down trying to find that uh, axe handle. I, I know what Ron's thinking. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Cell phones and glasses and rods and reels. More than one rod and reel, by the way. 
And I remember one day we was down there and that rod and reel went in the lake. I don't even remember how it happened, but anyway, it went in the lake. And so we took our other rods and put on big heavy sinkers and treble hooks and we thought, we thought surely after a while we'll drag that thing up. We never did find that all-star rod. It's still laying out there at the bottom of the lake somewhere, you see. Now, this fellow could have said that. He could have just said, you know, I'm just going to handle this myself. I'm not going to tell anybody else that there's even a problem. I'm just going to go look for it. Or he could have tried to borrow another one. Or he could have gone home discouraged and despondent. Or he could have, and if he had been a Baptist, he would have done this. He could have blamed somebody else. He could have said, that idiot, I'll tell you, doesn't he? Why didn't he put that, that axe head on there better than that? I mean, you know, what a pitiful job. And he could have blamed somebody else, and a lot of times we do it. Or he could have had the, you know, the philosophy of some, well, quote, fate would just have it to be so. Okay, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be. He could have taken that kind of an attitude. But he didn't use any of those options. Notice uh, three things. First of all, Here's the procedure. First of all, there has to be acknowledgement. Look at verse number 5 again. Acknowledgement. But as one was felling the uh, beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, Master, for it was borrowed. In other words, I've got a problem. It fell into the water. He's confessing his need instead of refusing to acknowledge that there is a problem. You know, it's really foolish on our part to just pretend that everything is well when it's not. Can you imagine somebody coming along, here's this, here's this guy standing there with the axe handle, and he's beating the daylights out of this big oak tree, and they come along and say, what are you doing? He said, I'm chopping this tree down. Well, don't you have a bit of a problem? Oh, no, I don't have a problem at all. And just give, give me enough time. He said, I, I, I'm going to get the job done. You, you don't have a problem? No, I don't have a problem. Is there something missing? No, nothing's missing. Just leave me alone. Get out of here. But this man acknowledged the fact, hey, I've got a big-time problem. The axe head is gone. The cutting edge is gone. The power is gone. So there's an acknowledgement. And, and that's what we have to do in our lives. We have to acknowledge the fact that, hello, Houston, we've got a problem. We've got a problem. Boy, that can be so difficult to do, right? Because we always want to project this image to other people that we've got it all together, that everything is all right. But if we're going to solve the problem, we have to acknowledge the problem and then notice not only the acknowledgement of it, but there was an awareness. Look at what he says in verse number 6 here. And the man of God said, where fell it? Where, where did it go? How did you lose it? Where is it? And so there is the awareness here, not only of the problem, but the awareness of how he lost. The axe head, where it's at. He said, right there, it's somewhere out there in the water. I, I know where I lost it in the water. It's not in the grass. It's not in the sand. It's in the water. He's aware of where he lost it. You know, I think if we'll really be honest and search our hearts, when we acknowledge that we've got a problem, if we'll ask for this Holy Spirit to help us, I think it won't be long before we will be aware of where the problem began how it started, where we lost our cutting edge, where we lost our effectiveness in witness, an awareness of it. 
And it might do us good to stop and think tonight about whatever our problem, whatever our need is, where where did you lose it? Was it in the fast-flowing water of worldliness? Is that where you lost it? Maybe it was in the current of self-will. Maybe it was in the mire of iniquity. You, You read through the Bible and you read about those that sinned against God And you can always identify what happened. Think about David, for example. Here is David, a man after God's own heart, a man with a perfect heart, a man who loved the Lord, no doubt about it, and yet a man who failed miserably. And whenever you read his confession in Psalms 51, you'll notice that when David says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, he adds these words. He said, Lord, when you do that, then will I teach transgressors thy law. And, and here's what he's saying. He's saying the sin in my life has sealed my lips. It has shut my mouth. I've not been witnessing to others. I've not been ministering to others. In other words, David's ministry came to a standstill when he entertained the sin in his life. David knew exactly where he lost it. And Nathan the prophet sort of helped him out with that, did he not? Remember when Nathan pointed that long bony finger in David's face and said, David, thou art the man. This is the problem, David. We need to be aware of what the problem is. Now, there's a lot of times that we don't really know what the problem is, right? especially on a corporate level as a church. As a pastor all of these years now, there have been so many times I've wondered what is going on. There's no joy in the congregation. There's no response to the preaching. There's no spirit of urgent prayer. There are no tears, no hallelujahs. It's just all dry, all dead, all dull. Nobody being saved. Nobody being added to the church. Whether you realize it or not, I usually beat myself up and blame myself for that. And no doubt sometimes it's my fault. But there's a lot of times I try to think and to think and to find out what in the world is going to, what is causing this. And in many instances, long months have gone by without knowing. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, somebody confesses a sin that's been going on all of this time. Let me tell you something. Whether you believe this or not, I'm telling you the truth. As a corporate body, what I do and what you do affects the effectiveness of this entire body. You cannot sin against God without having an adverse effect on the entire church body. So there's always some reason for it, you see. Always. And we need an awareness in our own lives when it relates to us personally. Am I the stumbling block? Am I the hindrance? Where did I lose my joy? Where did I lose the, the power to minister and, and so forth? Where, where did I lose it? You might go back to that fast-flowing current of worldliness that swept over you and where you got bogged down in the mire of iniquity, or it might be in the little brook of bitterness over here. 
And as you look back and examine your life, you can almost pinpoint it to the very day when you got bitter against somebody. And that bitterness is just like a cancer, a spiritual cancer eating away at you inside, stripping you of everything you need to get the job done. But then there's one last thing, folks, and that's in verse number 7. And that is appropriation. There has to be acknowledgement and awareness, but there has to be appropriation. Look at what happens. Therefore, said he, take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. <laughs> now remember, Elisha said, where did it fall? And he said, there in the water. And, and, and Elisha cut down a stick. Throw it. Now, I, don't get me trying to explain that. I can't explain it. He cut down a stick and throwed the stick out there and... <laughs> Now get this. Here come this axe head. Just Brother Ron's got a men he calls a miracle men, and that thing just I mean it flops and just like a just like a mena coming through the water. And can you imagine that big old heavy iron axe head? Here it comes swimming through the water. And it swims right up there. And Elijah says, Pick it up. <laughs> I don't know I'd want to touch that thing or not. I'd be scared to death. But he said, Take it up, pick it up. And notice what he did. Now, God performed a miracle to provide the axe head, and what did He do? He could have said, <laughs> I'll tell you, that's going on my mantle. That's going in my trophy case. I'm going, to, I'm going to mount that thing. Everybody can look at it, and it'll be a reminder of this great miracle. That's not why God provided it. God provided it so He would use it. Amen. And He picked it up. In other words, He appropriated it. We must take what God offers. And let me tell you, God has provided everything we need. Here's a verse that you ought to hold dear to your heart and never forget it. Mark it in your Bible. Go back to it again and again and again. It's 2 Peter chapter number 3, 2 Peter 3, or 2 Peter 1, verse 3. According as His divine power. Now, you've got to admit that's pretty awesome. Amen? His divine power have given unto us how much? All things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. God has given us here in His Word everything. We need to get the job done. You see, now it's important that we understand that because it means this. There's never an excuse for failure. We don't have to live defeated lives. We have everything we need to live victoriously regardless of what the situation is. But, but, listen carefully. If we are content with things as they are when they're not what they ought to be, Nothing will ever change for the better. Somebody has to become discontent. Somebody has to become desperate if change is going to come about. So, how should things be? How should they be? We can take the Bible and we can look at the Big picture of the church. How should things be in the church? It's easy to find out, right? 
The Bible tells us exactly what a model church is. And if you don't believe that, you need to read First and Second Thessalonians because they were the model church. You can find out what a model church is like. It's all right there. It tells you. But let's make this really personal tonight. How should things be in my life and in your life? What, what do we look for? What are we searching for? What does a normal Christian look like? Now, remember this. There's a difference between being normal and being average. You can be an average Christian without being normal. If you go down to the sick ward and there, you know, let's say there's some sort of a epidemic and they've got all of these sick people. Maybe it's the swine flu or whatever else. And here you've got a hundred people over here in this one ward in the hospital and all of them running a high temperature, you know, 102, 103 temperature. And they're all just as sick as a dog and, uh, and, uh, somebody else is there and they, their temperature is only 100, you know. And they've got a little better appetite. They're not average, right, among all of the people there. Because, you know, they're a little bit better than all of the people. But, listen, that's not normal, folks. It's still not normal, right? It's average, but it's not normal. Now, here's what's happened in the world that we live in today. We live in a world that whenever you look at the condition of churches today, we see what is average, but that does not mean that it's normal. What does a disciple look like? What what does a Spirit-filled Christian look like? How can I know if the axe head is missing? How can I know that I need to be discontent, that I need something that I don't have? How can I know? Here's the answer. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. And just before that, Paul said, If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then he mentions the works of the flesh. But then he speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. And he gives a list of nine different graces there. And he speaks as though it is a cluster. It's not the fruits, plural, of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, he says, is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's long-suffering, it's gentleness, it's goodness, it's faith, it's meekness, it's temperance. Nine different things. Now that is what a normal Christian should look like. If the love has waned, if the joy is gone, if the peace is missing... Jump to the end. No temperance, no self-control. I'm just out, out of control in my life. That tells me that something is amiss. That I've lost the very thing I needed. That is my axe head and it is gone. It's gone. And the only way to get it back is to appropriate what God has provided So tonight, how is it with you? Is something missing? Let's go down that list. The the love, the joy, the peace, the gentleness, the the long-suffering. Is it missing in your life? Is it lacking in your life? 
You, you see, your ministry, your ability to serve God and to please God depends on those things that only the Holy Spirit can produce. I talked about loving this morning, but you realize you can't make yourself love somebody. Now, if you're a Christian, you can love anybody, but you can't make yourself do it. Because some people can hurt you so bad that it becomes humanly impossible for you to ever forgive them and to love them. But it's not impossible for God to do it. He can do it through you. And He will do it through you. If we will, as Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. And that word filled does not mean we get more of the Holy Spirit. That word filled is a word that is used in regards to control. It's the same word that was used in regards to an unruly mob in Ephesus where it says, and the city was filled with confusion and anger, and here they are. It's a riot a mob, and it's talking about the people being controlled by that. The same idea when he says be filled with the Spirit, he's saying that you must be filled with the Spirit. And so when we become aware that there's a problem, we acknowledge that there's a problem, we become aware of where we lost it, and we go back to that time in our life and confess every known sin, and then just simply surrender ourselves, yield ourselves, appropriate what God provides. Remember the series some time ago about limiting God? You remember that? We studied it for months. They limited the Holy One of Israel. When I refuse to appropriate what God provides, I put limitations on what God can do in my life. And if we as a church fail to appropriate what God provides, what do we do? We limit what God can do in the church. And that's a really big problem, folks. We need to remove all of those limitations, appropriate what God has made available. Let's bow our heads together. Father, I hope tonight that we don't just think of this as some old stuffy story out of the past that has no meaning for us. And Lord, I sure hope we don't just think of how that it applies to brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so and how they need to get things right. I pray tonight that we will focus on us, on our own individual lives, and to think about what's missing, and then that we'll be honest enough to just admit, I've got a, I've got a real serious problem in my life. The love is lacking. The joy is, is gone. The peace is missing. Oh, God help me. So may we tonight just tear open our heart, as it were, and expose all of the ugliness. And may there be no duplicity in our lives, but may we just with single-mindedness determine in our heart that above everything else that we want to be right and do right. That you might be able to bless us not only as individuals, but that you'll be able to 
expand our horizons as a church and extend our ministry as a church in this world, that we can be all that we can be for the glory of of you, our Heavenly Father, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Let's stand together.